0: however you want to call it, religion, everything points to Jesus. Keep that in your in your heart today. Uh, we're going to continue on in our series here, Amazing Grace. This is part six. Uh, if you brought a Bible or whatever, Matthew 5, Galatians 3 is where we're going to go. Uh, I want to encourage you to get a handout, get a book if you need one, um, whatever you need over there on the table. Uh, take them with you. You can study through them through the week. All of the messages in the series should be over there. They should all be online. Uh, We have some good news about our messages. Hopefully, as soon as iTunes can get our our podcast through their system, uh, we'll be available. The Bridge Church will be available on iTunes. We're already available on Spotify. Or you can listen online on the website. So uh, there is no excuse if you miss a service. You should be able to hear it. You can pick up the handout and catch up. Right. A couple things going on this week, uh, Wednesday night. Michelle said she reads truth going on at her house at seven. Uh, the crash is going to the Rock Church, I think, on Wednesday night as well. And uh, that's six thirty, nine thirty. If you have a, um, a teenager, get him over here. Talk to Joel about that. He's over with the kids. And then the suicide loss support group. Bridge to Hope is on Valentine's Day, right over there in in Classroom A. Um, Sometimes it's good just to come and just be support for Tina and the folks who are there and just be be able to listen and, and, you know, support those who are, are struggling. And I think all of us, we can say together, you know, you can't imagine what it's like to lose a child or lose a spouse or somebody who dies by suicide. It's just devastating. So... Um, those folks need some help. Amen. Everybody good? You guys are so quiet today. Thank you. All right. I feel better now. We can get going. All right. So uh, on your handout there, there should be some definitions of grace. Grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness in favor of God. That's what it is. For the last couple of weeks here, we've been talking about what it does, and it does divinely enable us to live a new life in God because once you're saved, you're new, right? We're we're born again. And uh we've been talking about law and grace a lot and, and comparing the two and contrasting the two. And today's message we're going to talk about amazing law, right? Because the law is amazing and and it's uh in a Romans seven the apostle Paul says that we're released from the law but more than the thick part of this book is all about the law and the Old Covenant, and the Old Testament, and old, the old way of doing things in Jewish tradition. But Paul says in, in Romans 7 that we're released from the law. So how do we relate to it? How, well, what is it for? What do we use it for? And, and there's a lot of churches that preach the law and a lot of churches that push that. And, and it's, uh, it's good. The law is good. Don't get me wrong. And it's helpful. But, and it serves a purpose, which we're going to talk about today. But uh, why did God give it to us that live on this side of the cross? Why is it such a big deal? So, according to Jewish tradition, uh, in the Old Covenant, the law is divided into two categories okay, there's the moral law and the ceremonial law. And then we, as Gentiles in the Greek, wrote the Bible. Uh, divided it up into two more categories called ceremonial laws and dietary laws. The ceremonial laws are the feasts, the sacrifices, and all these things that that Israel does and the dietary laws are simply just food that 's clean or unclean or kosher or not kosher, all that kind of stuff okay and the moral laws are divided into um, the Ten Commandments or the moral laws you know living morally doing the right thing. Or the judicial laws, and it's interesting, when we talk about the judicial side of the law in the Bible, a lot of our laws that we have in this country that everybody seems to think wasn't founded on the Bible come right out of the Bible. Especially when it comes to murder and and manslaughter, it's almost word for word. So you can't tell me that the Bible wasn't a part of the Founding Fathers' judicial law-based law based system. Okay. So we're going to look at some of this today because, um, a lot of it centers around the 10 commandments, right? And, and the 10 commandments are in Exodus 20 and, and they're in Deuteronomy and there's a lot of law comes from the book of Exodus, which if you've read the Bible cover to cover and went in order, you can dredge through Leviticus and, 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 and be, and Numbers, and it's just like, my God. And, and if we added all this together, we would get roughly 613 different laws-ish, right? Because they're still arguing about what's law and what's not and what's apart and what should be and what's not. But let's just call it 613, okay? And, and why did God give these laws? Now, the law is not bad. What was the point in the whole thing? at this side of the cross, because on the old side of the cross, if we were going to be part of the Jewish culture, we would follow the law and participate in the sacrifices and the feasts continually. But on this side of the cross, Jesus said something in Matthew 7 and verse 22, which was interesting. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Then he goes on and he says, then I will declare to them. I never knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. So if we read that scripture, we can surmise that God wants us on this side of the cross to live a moral life. Okay. Okay. God wants us to live morally, to live right. If we further went into it with Jesus, we could see the the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you would love to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first. He goes through all those things. Now, we're no longer married to the law. For those of you who were here last week, we talked about how Jesus is our husband, right? And we are the bride of Christ, and he's coming to get us. And, and later... Uh, on Jesus talks in Hebrews chapter eight and verse 10, he says, um, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days talking about right now. Okay. This is after Jesus says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So when God writes something on your mind and on your heart, he has instilled in you when you get saved an automatic moral compass. Right? Now, how many of you have been born again for a little while? Okay? Yeah, most of you. Right? So how many times do you know that you know that what you're doing is wrong and then you've got that that scratching feeling on the inside uh, Kenneth Hagin always you know, used to say, you "Get that scratching feeling when you want to go punch your sister in the head." He's like, "You know, it's not right, and it's 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 part of this moral compass that helps us live morally for God." Right? It's called, you know, being law. So, why did God give the law? The only way the Jews knew to relate to God was through the law, until Jesus showed up. When Jesus showed up, everything changed. Now, when we planted this church, we we had a, a handful of scriptures that we really based our ministry on, and we wanted to follow this line of teaching. And this was one in John 1, verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace, say grace, and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, that's in John chapter 1. Okay, and as you if you do a study on grace or if you study anything in the word, I want to encourage you to use this as a filter for everything that you read or you study in the New Testament. Okay? Jesus brought grace and truth. Now Jesus did some made some clarifying statements about grace and truth through his ministry and as did Paul. Which we've been looking at a lot of them. Now, in Matthew chapter five, this is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Jesus. He's he's going to clarify some stuff about living a moral life. Okay, so Matthew chapter five verse seventeen says this. Now, listen to what he says. It's in red. Jesus is speaking. He says, "Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets." That's interesting to me. It's like, wait a minute. He, was, he fulfilled a new covenant, but it's not going away. you understand? He fulfilled it. He didn't come to destroy it. And whenever they say the Bible says law and prophets, it's talking about the old covenant, okay, the Old, the old Testament. So he's saying, I didn't come to, to blow this thing up, he said. He says, I did come to dis- uh, did not come to destroy but to fulfill Okay, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it's all fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of these of the least commandments and teaches men so, that's important, teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Notice he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about people who know him who are a part of the group, who believe in him, not really concerned with the old covenant. He's talking about people getting to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he says, um, for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He's simply saying we should live moral lives, even though righteousness is right here in front of you. Even though you know who I am and you know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you should live moral lives. Now, there's a thing going around today, especially in the younger generations on college campuses, and it's called subjective morality. And it's dangerous as opposed to objective morality, which is based on the law or the word subjective morality is based on whatever you think, right? And and there's a guy I follow after. I would encourage you too. Um, he's a, a very detailed man. Uh, his name's Ravi Zacharias. And, and Ravi Zacharias was preaching at uh, like Yale or Harvard or something, and he was questions and answers with the students. And one of the students asked him, and he said, why are you so afraid of subjective morality? And Ravi says, do you lock your door at night? And the guy said, of course. He said, well, why are you so afraid of subjective morality? And he went on to say, not everybody has the same morality or was brought up in the same way as you. It may be somebody else's morality to shoot you in the face with a bazooka and laugh about it than be subject to something else. So subjective morality is just subject to whatever you think. And there's a lot of people who don't think that it's normal not to shoot somebody in other parts of the world or even in other parts of the city. Um, We were watching a program about a gentleman who was arrested for murder. And they, they he, he was sentenced to death at the death penalty, but they had grace on him because of his upbringing was so terrible. You know, it was, you know, uh, molested and abused and all this stuff. And it's just like his morality level, his subject, subjective morality was way different than everybody else. He didn't think he did anything wrong by stealing and murdering, where objective morality is based on the truth of the word of God that's why it's important that when when people say there's no absolute truth then it's like okay it's free season then for everybody it has to be based someplace you know that's why i believe the church is the uh, local church is the hope of the world because it's based in objective truth it has a foundation if it's and it's based on the word of god not the word of somebody else whose mind changes every 15 minutes Right? So objective morality is important. It's based on the Lord, his word, his will, and his character and his nature. And if you want to understand objective morality, study the character and nature of God. And you will love people at a whole nother level. So let's talk about this. I want to give you four purposes of the law today in your handout there. Uh, Number one on your handout is the law is a master. The law is... Our Master, and we read this scriptures before a couple of weeks ago in Galatians chapter three, but I'm going to revisit it today, just to show that uh, God is always teaching, and we're always learning, and we're always growing. And now in uh, Galatians three twenty three says this: "But before faith came, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church. He says to churches, he says." But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? We were guarded by the law. We were under it, okay? He goes on there and he says, uh, kept for the faith, uh, kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after faith come, we are no longer under the tutor. Now, that word "tutor" in, uh, in the Greek word is there in your handout, but it means to have there was somebody that they hired that was either a slave or it was a hired person who would come into the house and handle the children from age six to sixteen, and it would take the children and make sure they got to school to bring them to the teacher. Do you understand? And he would make sure that the kids got home from the teacher. But he was not the teacher. He was just making sure that the kids got from home to the teacher and from the teacher to home. But he was not the teacher. Even if we think of a tutor in our time, a tutor is not the teacher. It's just a helper, right, to bring us to the teacher. That's exactly what Paul's saying here, that the tutor... Who, who is the, uh, the, you know, the law is the teacher and the tutor is the Holy Spirit that brings us to the teacher, right? And, and, sh- and then we learn from the teacher and then we go back. But then all of a sudden, once we're saved, we're no longer a part of that, right? Now, I've shared with you before that I was an exceptional 1.8 GPA student in school and I was I was not fond of teachers at all. And um, we had a teacher in a class and he was like a ghost because he would he would just show up at your desk and go what's eight times ten and you'd be like ah, 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 too bad bam and he'd hit you on the top of the head with his pen and I'd be like when I get older I was like in fourth grade and it's like I, I, I'm, when I get older I am gonna like just just gonna be a murderer right because because it was tough and. And it was just, that's what the law does though. It, it has, it brings you to the point of being like, you know, condemnation and guilt and all this stuff comes in it. And all of a sudden it just throws things up in front of your face. And I shared last week that the law does these things. It's like, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. You weren't good enough there. You yelled at your wife. You had an ugly tone. You mistreated your children. This is what the law does. To us, just like the teacher who who bangs you on the on the head, and it's funny because the law as the master points you to Jesus, it lets you know that you are in dire need of a savior you need help you need you can't do this, you will never be good enough to fulfill the law because you were born with a sin nature, and that's it. Okay, so we see that uh, the law is telling us to live morally and you can't live morally. So you need a savior. So then you get saved and you have Jesus. And then the law is telling you even more. You still need Jesus because you still can't qualify. And I've seen it over the years and over the years and over the years, how how people. They get frustrated. Anybody ever been frustrated with your walk with God? Like, you can just not be good enough. Well, I want you to remember that that scripture in John and, and just paste it on the front of your frontal lobe that Jesus brought grace and truth. Grace and truth. Do you think God knows that you can't keep the law? Do you think God knows that you can't? be morally right all the time, I would have to say, heck yeah. Because if he didn't, why did he send Jesus? Why did he send his son to die for the world when he didn't need to, right? Now, I had... Uh, how many of you been to a parent-teacher conference? Oh, man, it was terrifying. We would go to parent-teacher conferences every year, and our kids were homeschooled. And it was just... It was terrifying. The teacher is terrifying, right? And it was just, you know, so when you're communicating with the teacher and and she's telling you that your children are struggling and, you know, you're packed into that little desk and you don't understand, and then you're watching out the window and the teacher's like, hey, hey, over, you know, is there any sign of ADD in your family? And it's like, I don't know, can we just be done, right? it 's crazy that that we that you get ganged up on and and it's it 's tough right dealing with the teachers and we had a when we were doing youth ministry in California, we had a teacher who was she had three students in our class, and she would always sit right here in the front and she would she would bring a, a journal and she would take notes and i was I was just starting to preach right so I had really no idea how to talk, kind of most of you are probably like he doesn 't know how to talk now. But she would sit there, and, and she would be taking notes, and she would she would be like, and she would write something down, and, you know, I would be going along, and I would say something, and she'd go, ah, and she'd write something down. and I'm like, what, did I, was I in the ground tense? Did I mispronounce a word? Did I say something stupid? And after service one time, I caught her in the hallway, and I'm like, what are you writing down so much? You're taking all these notes and she's I'm like, am I saying something wrong? And she's like, no, you're not. I'm just, you know, the Lord's speaking to me and I'm I'm writing things down as the Lord is speaking to me. And I said I said to her, I said, "Man, I thought you were you were writing down all my gram- grammar- grammatical errors." And she says, "Oh, that book's not thick enough for that." <laughs> you <know>? so, <laughs> Katrina Leslie, man, she used to grill me so hard. It was funny. So, the law is our teacher, and the law has the ruler, right? It has the pen, right? Everybody's grew up in denominational church and parochial school, and the penguins with the ruler, and, you know, it was just couldn't do nothing right. And, and here's the thing a lot of us have come up in God not doing anything right. Having church people tell us that we're not doing anything right or we don't qualify or we're dressed wrong or we're talk wrong or we do everything wrong. And then what happens is that becomes our picture of who God is. And, and let me just share with you, grace and truth does not look like that, right? Now, what would happen if, if we were in the class with the teacher where we couldn't do anything Right? And then all of a sudden we heard of a new class where the the professor would come and he would kneel down beside your desk and he would tutor you and help you and teach you and be patient with you and do all these things for you they would they would explain it overly well what would you do would you stay in that class or transfer to the new class well we transfer to Jesus Jesus and the Holy Ghost which let me, let me share this quickly. We've got two more weeks of this series, okay? We're going to talk about um, amazing works and amazing Savior. Then after this series, we're going to go into a series and we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost. Because I, I believe in my prayer time, the Lord had shared with me that a lot of us in this ministry are, are walking with God and are fulfilling their, their call with God, but they're missing the power that the Holy Ghost brings. So i want going to spend some weeks talking about that, and then we're going to open it up and, and give people an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Ghost if you're not, right? And, and we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost because he's a comforter, and he's a helper, and he's all these things. And, and John 15, 16, 17, that I think it's like like trying to eat a meal without silverware, I heard said one time. And it's like if you like to eat, was, you know, it just helps you to, to be fulfilled in what you're doing. Okay, so that's coming up in a couple of weeks. But if we can transfer from the law, the hardcore law that's, that's set in stone to the new teacher, Jesus, he's going to show us a new way and a new a new heart towards any everything. Remember, grace and truth. We're going to look at all these scriptures through grace and truth today. All right, number two on your handout right there. Uh, number one, the law is a master. Number two, the law is a mirror. Okay? It's a mirror. Look at James chapter one. I think it's there in your handout, verse twenty three. Here's here's uh James, the, the pastor at Jerusalem. He's he's writing and he says, For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, okay, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Very interesting that you can look into this word. And it acts as a mirror. What do you see in a mirror usually? Unless you're like Dracula or something, right? You see yourself, okay? So we're going to look into this, and we're going to see ourselves. He says, uh, here's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For if he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, right? Law of liberty is this word. Remember, grace and truth coming out of this, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in everything he does. So here we are as people. Not perfect, not even close. But we're going to look into the perfection, that's the law, and what's going to happen is it's going to reflect to us where we missed it. Okay? It's going to show us where we missed it. And it's important to know that because the law will always reflect the moral standards of God. And God is perfect. His moral standards are excellence. And it's going to reflect to us who we really are. And here, here, this is why it's so important that, that you have the Holy Ghost and you understand who Jesus is and that everything that Jesus does operates in grace and truth. Okay. His mercy, but he, he, he tells you what's up. So we're going to look into this thing and and we're going to see who we really are. So now let me ask a question. Is God for or against adultery? Against, right? Now, is God for or against gossip? Is God for or against lying? For or against stealing? Against, right? Now, God's against those things because they go against his moral laws. But why does it go against his moral laws? Because it hurts people. And God's character and nature is based on people. Good things for people, grace and truth for people. Are you with me? It's important that you catch this because when you look into the moral standards of God and realize how bad you suck, if you don't understand that and and you understand the the Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to feel condemnation, which is going to push you down, right? Paul says it this way. He says in in Romans 7, 7, he says, I would have not known sin, okay, I would have not known sin except through the law, for I would have not known covetousness. And the law had said, unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So when you look into the law, to God's perfect moral standard, and you see how short you have fallen, that's where Jesus comes in with grace and truth, right? The law keeps us from train wrecks. It's like having the Bible when you learn that adultery is not good, covetousness is not good, stealing and lying and cheating hurts people, then you're going to refrain from doing it. It's like a road map, right? That's the next end, by the way. I leaked it out. It tells you that if you're walking and there's a cliff here, The word of God, God's perfect moral standard is going to say, turn and go this way. But here's the thing. You got to be listening. You got to be in relationship. You got to have help to understand because the moral standards of God keeps us from train wrecks. Now, the moral law reflects the boundaries or the parameters of God's desires. This is important, but it does not reflect the parameters or boundaries of his love. Okay? If we look at John 3:16, so God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, right? Now, is everybody in the world not a sinner? Of course not. Does everybody fall short? If we read Romans carefully, it says everybody falls short of the the glory of God. Everybody. Every even Michelle falls short of the glory of God. Okay? And she is almost perfect. I am kind, right? She is almost perfect, but yet she falls short of the glory of God. So everybody falls short. But does that mean God does not love us because we fall short? No, God loves the world. God loves the sinner. God loves the adulterer. God loves the liar. God loves the stealer because I was all those people, and God loves me. So that does not reflect God's boundaries in that area of love, but it does affect his desires. God desires that all of us don't be adulterers, don't steal, don't lie, don't gossip because it hurts people. You make big mistakes. Right? Now in the um no time. John 8 has the the story of the woman caught in adultery. Right? And this is a great story. It's like verse 1 through 11 or 12. It's a great story when you're talking about grace because this woman, it says early in the morning, Jesus was at the synagogue and the Pharisees and Sadducees brought a woman caught in adultery. And I'm like, early in the morning? Man, busy early or something. And they bring this woman and they throw her at his feet. And they said, this woman has been caught in adultery. And I always think when I, I don't know how you read the story, but I read the story and I'm like where's the dude? How come it's the woman who's getting punished, right? Where is the guy? That makes me think, you know, and most theologians think this too, that maybe the guy was somebody influential. Maybe he was on the board or on the, you know, somebody important. But anyway, she got caught and she was the one that was brought to Jesus and thrown at his feet and said she was caught dead in her tracks in adultery, The law says stoner. And notice, remember, we're seeing all this scripture through the lens of grace and truth. Jesus himself in that story never contradicted the law. He said, yeah, you're right. We should stone her. But then Jesus says, here comes the the grace part. He says, let the one with no sin throw the first stone. And that disqualified everybody. The word says that. From that point on, from the oldest to the youngest, I think because the oldest were better sinners, my personal opinion, that the younger have left. They just split. Everybody walked away because they, none of them were without sin. He was the only qualified himself as the only one who could have stoned her because he was without sin. He looked at this woman and he said, where are your accusers? So think about this. If you're seeing the story through the lens of grace and truth, and you've been caught doing something, who are your accusers? And we say all the time, I say all the time, we kind of, you know, you're not qualified to judge anybody, right? So if you see somebody else who got caught with their hand in a cookie jar, you don't have anybody, any place to You're like those guys standing there when Jesus says, let the one with no sin cast the first stone. You can't qualify to judge anybody except for maybe your children, and that's debatable, okay? Because here's the thing. When Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? And and they were gone. And then Jesus tells her. He looks right at her, and he says this. He He says, go and sin no more, right? Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, right? There's the grace, and the truth is go and sin no more. And now that woman, there's there's controversy all around who she was, but she could have been Mary Magdalene, could have been the other, you know, could have been anybody, but I would suggest to you that she probably joined the band that was following him because he had grace, on her. And it's a picture of who we're supposed to be as Christians. It's okay to have grace on people. It's okay to say, yes, I know you're right. I forgive you, right? Just practice right now. Just say, I forgive you. Yeah, that hurts, doesn't it? That's tough, right? Number three, I kind of leaked this one out already. The law is a map. It shows us how to have a joy-filled life. Uh, Dominic was talking about that on the transition here. He was talking about the joy of the Lord is Jesus. If we look at Psalm 119 verse 105, the word, the word, the law. I love Psalm 119 because it says, I love your commandments. I love your statutes. I love you. I'm led by your law. I love your law. It goes on and on and on. It's acrostic of the whole Hebrew alphabet. And it starts with different letters. And it's just a—it's forever long. So don't read it in your quiet time. You'll be there a week. But you can break it up and look. And just look at the love for the word, for the statutes, for the law, for the, the word of God that the writer of this psalm has. He says, the word, your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? We have to know, we have to read the map to know what's wrong. Because Paul said... You know, I wouldn't have known covetousness was a sin unless I read it in the Word, unless I read it in the law. The law is not bad. It holds us to a higher standard, right? It's our master. It tells us what's wrong. It shows us because if we look into it with our face, it shows us what's wrong. How many of you get up in the morning and just look amazing? Anybody? Yeah, Noel. Okay, right? So what do you do when you get up in the morning? You look in the mirror. You have to fix everything that's messed up, and for some of us who really sleep hard when they're backwards, right? It's like you are a hot mess in the morning, brother. You need some help. It's like baseball hats and hoodies ain't gonna fix that. It's it's, whoo, right? It takes some work to get it going. Well, don't feel bad if that's your life. When you look into the law. And it tells you, well, this is wrong in your mouth and your words and your thoughts and your actions and, you know, it's okay. Nobody's looking for perfection, especially in this ministry. We're just looking for humble people who want to show up and worship and love God and and continue to change, right? It's, you know, the Word of God has all the answers. It's a map to the joyful life. And and as you get it in there, you, you turn... You know, you want to know how to be married? It's in the book. You want to know how to raise children? It's in the book, right? You want to know how to deal with a dingbat at your job? It's in the book. Everything's in there. We just, a lot of times, I think in Christianity, especially in the West, we just want to be told what to believe. You know, oh, that's is the way we're going to be. And what happens is we're sheep. And if the shepherd walks off the cliff, the sheep are just going to go right with him. Right, To the bottom of the valley that's the way it is in Christianity, so I want to encourage you it's okay to fall short. It's something else Paul says in the in the book of Romans right we've all fallen short and, and of the glory of God, so if we want to know, we got to read the book, but here's the thing that you have to be aware of if you're going to be following the map is that the enemy. Is going to stir things up, and he's going to twist the words. And he's going to make you feel condemned and make you feel not righteous and make you feel as though you are failing. But let me tell you something. There is now no, those words are strong words in the Greek language, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And, and that could be a, a refrigerator verse for the day. There is now no, that's now no condemnation for those who are are, are being in Jesus. And the enemy wants to twist that around and say, well, you should feel bad because you treated your children bad. Well, okay, but you know, you can't sit in that forever. You know, I've dealt with depression my whole life, and there's one thing I know when I sense it, I got to go. I'm going to change my place, I'm going to move my 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 where i am if i'm inside i'm going outside if it's sunny i'm going out i'm going to go to the mall i'm going to go look at cars i'm going to call a friend i'm going to go have coffee i'm moving i'm out because i cannot stay there and meditate on what's wrong because when i meditate on what's wrong it's like a toilet flushing just goes down then pretty soon you're wondering what happened it's like my life's a mess of course it is because you're meditating on what the enemy is putting in your head. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, um, here's a, a thought I had the other day. I was, uh, I like listening to, like, country music. If if people kept the law, there would be no country and western music at all. <laughs> because you Never mind. All right, number four. Here we go. Let's close this out because uh, we're going to run over number four. The law. And this is this is an important one, right? Kind of goes in the in the flow we're going with. Law. The law is a measure. It's a measure. It shows me how I'm doing. Okay. Now remember, we are not going to dwell on what the enemy tells us wrong. We are gonna we're gonna um, use our internal compass. Because God has written his laws on our heart. Our internal compass is going to tell us, okay, I fell short here, but I'm going to find scripture and bolster my life and move on. Right? And I got I to gotta tell you that um, in this room this morning, uh, we were praying at, uh, uh, at 9 o'clock like we were. I just had to to let off some steam (laughs) the enemy was here, and he was pushing us around this morning, and none of our technology was working, right? The Wi-Fi wasn't working. And when you're a portable church, okay, everything is in the cloud during the week, and then you come here and plug stuff in and upload it, and that's the music, that's the slides, the video. The sound system, everything works on the Wi-Fi. So if we come in and the Wi-Fi doesn't work, guess what? We got nothing. I mean, maybe the lights are on. That's it. So it was like, you know, we were struggling and they changed it and nobody told us and all the passwords and this and that. So, you know, we just prayed this morning at 9 o'clock by 920. Guess what? Bam. Everything was operating in the manner and fashion it was supposed to. And it was like, we're not going to just say, okay, we'll just, you know, do what we do. You know, we took our authority because we know who we are. And we took back what the enemy took from us. And that's not just pastors doing this. This is for everybody. So when you're measured by the law and you fall short, you can take back what the enemy took from you. You can just say, because... Jesus himself says in the Gospels, use my name as authority. So between the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, you can turn a city upside down. I know a particular church who did it in Redding, California. Turn the whole city. Another church in San Antonio and another one in Austin are turning the cities upside down. Why can't we do that? Because there's 30 people in this room? I'm telling you, where one or two are gathered in my name. I am in the midst, so when we 're measured by the law, we can still change things doesn 't mean we 're short doesn 't mean that we 're weak, it just means that we need to get busy. Does that make sense? Are you good? Law keeping is not the measure of true spirituality because if it was, all the Pharisees and Sadducees would have been number one in jesus' book, and that wasn 't the case. We all know how he grilled those guys. it was It was bad news. And Jesus himself said, You guys, you know, he was standing outside the boneyard, the cemetery, and he says, This is what you guys look like. Pretty flowers and green grass, but dead men's bones inside. It's like you got nothing. So when we're measured, remember we can take back what we have. I know years ago we would have new salvations. And we had a kid who came to our youth ministry who was who was hardcore uh, he was a hardcore guy. Gangbanger. I mean, his brother killed people. He had another brother that was shot. He was hardcore. Tatted up. He was a big kid. Uh, I was always a little leery of big kids because the little ones I got push around. Big ones, not so much. And I know he probably had a gun half the time he was there. You know, he was just that guy. But he came and he got saved right? We're all standing around outside. We had kind of a driveway and there was a gate. We were down by the gate. He was waiting for a ride and had some of the other students around. And and I'm talking to this kid and he's like, he said, man, this is awesome. I didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know all of this stuff. And reaches in his jacket and pulls out a cigarette and lights it up. He's like, this Jesus is something else. All these other kids are like, he can smoke. And then after he he got in the car with his brother and left and you know, all the kids, their eyes are like this big. And they're like, Pastor, are you going to talk to them? Are you going to talk to them? Somebody needs to talk to them. Are you going to tell them it ain't right? And I'm like thinking to myself, and I'm like, you know, I, the law is a measure of a man. The pastor's not the measure of the man. Or the Christians aren't to catch this because this is good. The Christians aren't the measure of men. The law is. This is your extra credit point on your thing there. The law is not a machete. And they were like, are you going to talk to him? Are you going to talk to him? You know what? Our theology for people, for Christians, is that the Holy Spirit can clean them up. Because here's what happens is we it comes across as judgment and people leave and split. I was going to show a video today, but I just couldn't do it because the end of it was dumb. But it was just a strip of people who were judged by the church and they left. And they were, their testimony was, I will never go back to church again because I was judged for what I was wearing. Here's one. One of the young ladies was a stripper. And, and she was evangelized and she was saved. And she was sitting in a coffee shop looking at her phone, trying to find a church to go to. And then in walk some people, and they're handing out flyers, for this church. And she's like, thank you, God, finally. And she's just sitting there waiting for this flyer to come. And there's your the young girls. And the girls walk up to this lady and they looked at her up and down, rolled their eyes and walked away. Didn't give her a flyer to their ministry. They judged her by what they looked at. And she was like, devastated me. I didn't go to church for 35 years after that because of what that child did to me. Now, granted, you know, part of it's on her, you know, grow up and get over it. It's just some dumb kid. But the other part is, really? You have no no qualifications to judge anybody. It's the law's job to to measure us and tell us where we fall short so that we can go to Jesus and get our hearts right. Right? It's grace. It's grace and truth. So know if if in the past by uh, maybe a church leader or church something has told you that you're not good enough, just know who you are in Jesus. Jesus, I have a list right here of things that I read every single day. Let me just give you a few. In Jesus, I am strong in the power of God's (coughs) might. In Jesus, I have the high calling of God. In Jesus, I do not worry. In Jesus, I have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. In Jesus, I have the peace of God, which guards my heart and mind. That would be a good one to jot down right that 's philippians four seven in Jesus, I have strength in Jesus, I can do all things four thirteen Philippians, both of those in Jesus, all my needs are met according to god 's riches and glory. Come on, somebody. In Jesus, I have been translated into the kingdom of God. In Jesus is who you are. Even when you're measured by the law, you can still say, in Jesus. When somebody looks down at you or judges you, that's not who Jesus says I am. I have to tell my family, not this family, but my family who lives back east that. When When they judge and they put me down and they say, oh, you're that Jesus freak. I'm like, oh, yeah. In Jesus, I know who I am right? So remember, the word is the plumb line we measure our life by. And, and let me just share this and we'll close right here. When I was in Bible college, I took an ethics class, right? Biblical ethics. It was one of my favorite classes because it talked about just doing the right thing most of the time, all right? Week one of this class, we have a test. Every Friday, we would have a test. And we took the test and, at, and this particular class, you would always, or in the college, you would always change your test with somebody you knew, and you would grade the test. Well, this particular one, the professor says, I want you to grade your own test this week. And I'm thinking, as genius as I am, this is an ethics class. And, and he was real careful how he graded stuff. You know, if you got this and not this, take half off and do all this. So I graded it super hardcore because I'm grading my own test, and of course, at the end of the class, he's going to hold up the test for somebody who did it right, like me, because I'm special, or somebody who cheated on their test and say, look, this is not ethical, right? So we go through the test, and we grade the test, grade our own test, and he says, okay, put your grade at the top, and move on to chapter two, and we're all like... Wait, you got to collect the test. One of the young ladies stops him and says, Hey, aren't you going to collect the test? And he's like, No, nah, just do whatever you want with the test. Moving on to chapter two. And she's like, No, no, wait, wait, wait. How are you going to know how we're doing if you don't collect the test? And, he, and uh, Kenneth Malkey, who was the instructor, he says this. He goes, Oh, I see where you're going with this. This test wasn't for me to know how you're doing. It's for you to know how you're doing. That's what the law does. So when you're looking at the law and yourself, know that this is just a test for me to know where I am. So I know how to pray. I can fill out a connect card so my pastor can pray. I can begin to work on the things where I fall short. That's why the law is so amazing. There's one other thing with this test, too. This is a test that we're all taking right now. And here's the thing about this test. God doesn't grade this test for us. And by the way, this test has 613-ish questions on it that we're all are taking right now. And by the way, you've all failed that test. Because if it says, as we said in James 2.10, if you miss one, you missed them all. But God says this in his word. He says, but here, I will let you, my son has taken the test. And he has passed every question on the 613-point test. And if you believe, you can have his grade. So how many of you want to believe today so I can have his grade? Let's all stand together. That's amazing grace that we get to have his grade that he took the test and passed and we get to participate in his life. And like I said before, when we started this series, it comes with lots of bennies, lots of benefits, lots of extras. It's not just this hardcore slave and wonder what's going to happen thing. We are sons, not slaves. We are set free and we walk above and not below. And we walk in the authority because, because of what Jesus did, right? In Jesus, I am established in Jesus. I have authority. In Jesus, in Jesus, every time hell lands in your life, in Jesus, in Jesus, I win. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, you're awesome in this place today. Father, the miracle that you did is getting this service off the ground today, God. And Father, the miracles that you're doing in the hearts of these, your people, oh, It's amazing to see God. Father, your law is amazing, but your son is yet even more amazing. And Father, even we look in the mirror and we see how short we are, we say, But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus is where my authority is, but Jesus is where my life is. But Jesus, like that song says, but Jesus every head bowed every eye closed in this place today i think we're all home folks but if anybody has not dedicated their life to jesus today and wants to get in the family stick your hand up so i can see it anybody anywhere anybody want to rededicate their life today maybe you walked away from god maybe somebody has hurt you and you're not sure anybody anywhere i think we're all home folks today so it's all good but here's what we're going to do. One last invitation. If you have a prayer request at all, if you have a a need of any kind, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. I don't think Jim is here today, Dom. So if you can come or Chase, Chase is going to come. Uh, just just be bold and do not be afraid. Listen, I ask for prayer all the time. You know, I, I send texts to the fellas and my wife and my kids. I'm like, just pray for this. I got this this week. I got this this week. It's okay. To have a need. You know, we don't have to be superheroes. We'll leave that to the Avengers, right? We'll just be people who are just trying to do this thing. So if you have a need, I want to encourage you to step out today and be bold. And just add your faith to these folks' faith and and we'll knock it out. Never leave this place with a need. Right? So pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, Lord, I give you my life today. I no longer follow after myself. I lay my life down for you to take up. I follow you, Jesus. I lay my life down for you. And I sacrifice everything in Jesus' name. So let's worship this one last worship song. If you have a need of any kind, step out and and just worship with these guys. Amen.